0: This is the Master Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim.
1: and my name is Tom.
0: And today we are talking about *Friends of Eddie Coyle* by Peter Yates of uh, *Robbery and Bullet*. Is the f- one film that I'm most familiar with by his uh, his filmography. What about yourself? How's your How does Peter Yates uh, rank in your? Uh, I
1: know through *Bullet*, basically that is my Peter Yates. Um, yeah, uh, yeah th- th- he's, he's, he's one of those directors where. There seems to be a lot on the filmography that reeks of uh TV movie or mm-hmm. kind of low rate kind of thing and I've just never yeah I've ne- I've just never really come across him other than kind of this and bullets so it's yeah he, he he doesn't seem to be a director which kind of people kind of um particularly revere to a great degree.
0: No. And I think most people coming to this film is coming because of Robert Mitchum and Peter Boyle and those kinds of characters.
1: Oh totally, I mean this is a um, it's a strange film The Friends of Eddie Coyle because it has the components I think of a film whereby you have like Robert Richam, who was previously kind of like a a huge Hollywood star you have Mm. this director who's made Bullet and it's a gangster film but very quickly I think you realise when you go into The Friends of Eddie Coyle this is not a particularly glamorous film in any <laughs> shape of thing. I mean, if you think about the style of Bullet, you have Steve McQueen at his most um, beautiful, at his most stylish. You have that incredible shift and soundtrack, um, this wonderful location. And then it's almost as if P. T. Yates said to himself, well, how can I make the complete opposite of that film? So you have yeah. an aged uh, Robert Mitchum, um, I know it's set in Boston but it could be set in hell as far as I'm concerned <laughs> because this is one uh, filmed in the the midst of winter this is everything I suppose you would expect a stylish gangster film not to be
0: yeah its it feels like this is such a simple no frills no over excitement little to no violence uh, it's almost like a, a study of a subculture more than it is like a crime film reminiscent of Taxi Driver or hmm, what else it, it it has that Scorsese look but less of the flash and bizarres
1: it's I think sometimes what I got out of this film is that for me Hollywood made the gangster glamorous it made Mm. it appealing it made it this sort of like dangerous like say like a subculture like a dangerous subculture and you always think about you know goodfellas and the godfather and and that type of thing and this film just strips it back to it's almost I think it's actually more reminiscent of something like the Sopranos where they did Mm. those episodes on kind of like the lower end of Tony's family like like the, 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 the real grifters who, for, for being a gangster, is a 24-7 job at basically trying not to get killed. Yeah. And <laughs> you have this guy who is this, like, I mean, I'm assuming he's part of, of, a, of a mafia, of a crime family, and mm. he's, he's got the, the the setup is is something that I, I've, you've seen a lot. I can't. Remember. There's, there's a Spike Lee film, Redwood Norton, in it but that um, kind of like gangster who you know, they, they're going they're going to prison no matter what. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. not even go, he's not even going to prison for that long. It's I think they're saying um, two years. Two years, I think. Well, it's for five, but I think they're saying that it's going to be two with good behavior and all that kind of thing. And yeah. at his age, he just does simply does not want to go there. And it sort of demystifies that character of the gangster as being kind of, it's kind of like brave, sort of, you know, carefree person that doesn't give a shit about the circumstances. And he's desperately trying to avoid this sort of not long prison sentence. And it's because of his age that he doesn't want to go there. And it's almost like there's a desperation to him, I think, which is... It's refreshing to see, you I, I, I don't often see that type of character reduced to this type of person.
2: You know, the kids are growing up, they go to school, all the other kids laugh at them. Well, hell, I'm almost 51 years old. That's your strong reason. I need one for me. What are they holding over you? About five years? My lawyer figures about two. Oh, you'd do well to get out with two. You had about 200 cases of Canadian club on that truck. The way I remember it, and none of it belonged to I you. keep telling you, it was a mistake. You made that mistake before. Look, there I am minding my own business, getting along the best I could. A man calls me up, knows I'm out of work, asks me if I'd drive a truck for him. I didn't know that man from Burlington from Adam. Yeah, I can see that would happen. man like you lives in Quincy, Mass, must get a lot of calls to drive a semi from Burlington to Portland. I'm surprised the jury didn't believe you. Ah, that dopey lawyer of mine wouldn't let me take the stand. Anyway, I was wondering if maybe there wasn't some way we could handle it. Like me saying hello to somebody? Well, I was thinking a little stronger than that. I was thinking in terms of uh, maybe you talking to the prosecutor up there and having him drop a word to the judge i have been helping my uncle like a bastard. <laughs> well, I would. But then again, you haven't been. What? I gave you a couple of calls. <laughs> yeah, you give me some real stuff, too. You tell me about a guy that's gonna get hit, 15 minutes later he gets hit. You tell me about some guys in a job, but you don't tell me till they're coming out the door with the money. that's not helping Uncle Eddie.
1: And it's an interesting film because did you you find that character particularly likable?
0: Not at all. Uh, I mean, I had difficulty understanding some of his motivations for why he needed to, um, why he was In such a desperate way trying to um, not go to prison and why he was so desperate to do those last few jobs um, for money I didn't quite understand that but just in terms of his character as well he seems like a person we're not supposed to like we're supposed to understand him and supposed to understand that this is a man who just stayed in the game for too long and now he's he's spent basically
1: yeah and it's it's the desperation in him oh, yeah fine like i never once thought i was never the, the way the thing is i was never particularly bothered about him going to prison or not going to prison because you just thought we just sort of thought well you've made your bed pal it's yeah. time to lie in it and it's almost like he's shirking his responsibility
0: yeah which is, and, it, and it's It's interesting because he tells that story about the guy in prison who gets his hand smashed and it's obviously himself. And now he he also tells the story about how he was whacked with a stick as a kid by those nuns. And it's all about, uh, it's not, Whether or not you deserve your punishment, it's that the punishment is inevitable, and you just have to take it. But he's kind of he's kind of avoiding punishment by the law, but he's willing to take the punishment by the gangsters and the criminals. Uh, We can talk about the ending later. But it, it feels like he's his understanding of who is supposed to who's worthy of punishing him and who just he wants to avoid. It's an interesting. Like, um, interesting uh, experience watching him talking about the criminals and the official uh, official law, yeah.
1: And the other thing as well I find about it, there's like a kind of a hierarchy to the levels of punishment. Like, he had his yeah. fingers broken for messing up, and then the gun um, shark who is getting his weapons off, he's like, he has an, a degree of control over that person. He's still able to scare them. Like, this is still someone who... If he knocks on your door and is like, "Do this, or I'm going to smash your face in," you're still scared of him. But the film allows you to see like a greater picture of him, whereby I think the mystique of how scary he is in relation to his actual sort of like ability to, like, I suppose what I'm trying to say is like in the context of the film and its characters of the gun dealer, he can come and smash your head in. But when you see the film as a whole, you sort of think, "Well, you're not really anything." of any significance at all really mm. and it's the throwawayness of like people kind of saying to me, well you know you just got you know get your head down and it's like oh i didn't even mean to be in the, the van i didn't even know what was going it's like you knew full well what you were doing <laughs> like, you know c- come on just get 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 t- take it and just do your time
0: mm.
2: look the stuff will come what's the big emergency Look, one of the first things I learned is never to ask a man why he's in a hurry. All you got to know is I told a man that he could depend on me because you told me I could depend on you. Now, one of us is going to have a big, fat problem. Another thing I learned, if anybody's going to have a problem, you're going to be the one. You finished? No, I'm not finished. Look, I'm getting old. You hear? You hear? I spend most of my life hanging around crummy joints with a bunch of punks, drinking the beer, eating the hash and the hot dogs, and watching the other people go off to Florida. While I'm sweating out, I'm going to pay the plummet. I done time when I stood up, but I can't take no more chances. Next time, it's going to be me going to Florida. You know, listen, you're still a kid. And you come out and you go around and say, look, I'm a man. You can take what I say, and it happens. I go through. Well, you're learning something too, my friend, and I advise you to learn it right now. When you say that, when you get me out there all by myself, on what you say, you better be right there in back of me, because when you say it happens, it's gonna fucking happen. If it don't, You got your thing caught in a zipper. You know, just now I don't want any talk from you and any shit from you. I want ten guns. I want it tomorrow night. I'll be right there with the money, same place where we were before. I'll be there with the money. You be there with those goddamn guns. Because if you ain't. I'll be looking for you and I'll find you too. Because I ain't the only one that's going to be looking for you. And we know how to find people.
0: It it paints a picture that you don't have that Shakespearean. Those um, those real tragedies or those real uh, those real wins, but it's more really like an ordinary ordinary life. It's boring. It's mundane. It's very simplistic and very very real. And it it, re- it also reminds me very much of the wire and how those kind of dealings and the it's like such a, so many of those problems they dealt with were so mundane and. Um, ordinary.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember during the wire, I think there's one episode where it shows like the effort they go to to buy phones, and it's like they they got this guy who has to go and like buy the burner phones and all that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. you just sort of see him like, and gets bored after it, and that that sort of like leads almost to his downfall. But yeah, it it makes being a gangster this sort of nine to five grift that mm. you have to kind of um, you, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's a job that he's chosen to do and yeah. is in full aware of the consequences and there's something about it as well where i find like the um the bank robberies themselves mm. that you see in the film the degree of professionalism about them it reminded me of like heat or something yeah. like that where they Michael have Mann this, was
0: very much in my mind yeah
1: yeah where you where you, should, you see this kind of the effort that they go to and it's so it's so methodical, you know, you will mm. say this, you will do this, you will do that, and then afterwards this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And I, I think what this film does really well is it it shows criminality as a profession.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's adapted by a uh, novel which was written by George Higgins uh, who was a state attorney who turned into a writer and he worked in Boston and became very familiar with the underworld and the cops and the gangsters and all the angles that he is leaning on here so it, it's very much like it feels like this is a very well studied uh, manuscript and very well um, researched film that is put together
2: going to your bank, you and I and my friend. My other friend will stay here with your wife and children to make sure nothing happens to them. Nothing will happen to them and nothing will happen to you if you do what I tell you. If you don't, at least one of them will be shot. Understand? I understand. Here's your coat. We'll be by the back door.
1: I mean, the thing is, I mean, I, I would ask you when you sort of watch sort of um, your Goodfellas and all that type of thing in Casino and you we know, talk about the Scorsese gangster films, there is a certain appeal to it. When I yeah. watch this, th- there's nothing about it. I think, <laughs> oh my God, that would be fun. You know, this would be a really kind of cool career choice for me. It's so bleak, I think, in a way. And mm. I, a part of, I think, the bleakness comes through Robert Mitchum himself, who, mm. this is a person that that stage of his career has sort of he's past his prime let's be brutally honest with you yeah and i th- I, th- I think it's i don't think robert Mitchum was ever the best looking actor i don't think he had that kind of he wasn't a kind of a brando mm. type star but he certainly has a look about him and in this, and it, to a degree as well, it sort of reminded me of his role in Ryan's Daughter, where he's kind of playing this kind of put upon school teacher. It's like this deglamorized film star in this film, and this is. And I'm not talking about sort of like Charles Bronson when he's doing Death Wish four for, you know, a quarter of a million quid. I think it's mm. an actor who has completely accepted the fact that they're getting older and isn't afraid to. Play the part of being older and play that kind of faded person, and I think it's yeah. really interesting. Like when, when actors actually do that, because with Robert Mitchum, you can sort of sense that that almost like the glamour's gone from him, the mm. stars gone from him. Yeah, he might he may well have been someone previously in this sort of gangster underworld who was quite important, and now he is just literally this kind of washed up kind of a dude and it's i think it's really interesting when actors aren't afraid to kind of embrace the fact that they are getting older they they have that this is the 70s you know this isn't the the heyday of warwick mitchum the 50s and the 60s it's a different time and i I think there's something quite exhilarating when you see an actor embrace that type of uh, character
0: yeah and you can feel that i never got the feeling that his character really made it i always felt like he his best years are behind him but he never really broke through and he he's just longing for that boring safe life that he once rejected that would perhaps have been a better life for him it feels like he's coming around to that thought at the end of his years when he's aged and jaded and yeah it feels like he never broke through what was it all for basically
1: yeah and you see his house as well I mean yeah Christ, that that depressed me enough you know <laughs> um yeah I mean, it was horrific, and uh, you, you, again, you have that sort of, They did it in The Sopranos occasionally. There'd be an episode where they would go back to like one of the foot soldiers, and and you see like their existence. You're like, oh my god, and you go back to his house, and it is just absolutely appalling, really. Mm. And he's got this sort of like mad Irish wife who's, you know, probably thinks he has a kind of respectable job as a post, office, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something like that. But he 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 really hasn't, and Yeah, I I think it's interesting because he is the sort of the washed up soldier. And even when he goes to um, the bank robber guy's house, who you sort of thinking is going to be, you know, this guy's kind of robbing banks and earning hundreds of thousands. I mean, the guy lives in a caravan or something like that, doesn't he, with this sort of bizarre kind of bizarrely (laughs) attractive college girl that he's (laughs) living with. But it it, it just like, again, every time I've, I've watched The Friends of Eddie Coyle, I just think, God, this is no life that I want. This this world does not do anything for me. It's actually quite unbelievably depressing. And mm. we are living in the age, if we were discussing, before, like this is coronavirus, which has not been the most fun. And watching this film, I think I was a bit like, Jesus Christ, this is a bit close to the bone <laughs> in terms of uh, the misery that's around at the moment.
0: Yeah at least we don't have to deal with like half truths and or at least our own half truths <laughs> uh, yeah, and like I mean... these calculated admissions and yeah yeah I, I was just thinking about it feels like everyone in this film they're sort of they have this the strict strategy that they have to play by where they have to like faint and parry throughout the film and they need to dish out some information here and some information there without really revealing too much because then they lose their own importance or their own like means to climb up the ladder or hopes of climbing up the ladder and that when, when they can withhold some information maybe they can get a higher price at a later date but everyone, it feels like everyone here is squealing when the time is right or the options run out and the shifting loyalties like constantly you never know who is who is on this side or uh, or the criminal side or the justice side and even the cops you never know, I was constantly thinking some of these guys are probably crooked uh, they never turn out to be crooked but they just turn out to be Mm, perhaps not uh, really morally just
1: <laughs> well it's, it's strange but isn't it because i mean I've the, i i remember ways sort of thinking like the cop is indistinguishable from the gun dealer the young guy yeah. and, and that, that, that there's all these people like this there's that weird hierarchies going on where you know one person will just lay it down to someone else and that you see it with um robert, robert Mitchum when he's with the police officer He's just so desperate when he's around him. Yeah, Yeah, when he's with with the gun dealer, he's like, you know, I'm gonna come and fucking break your hands and all that kind of stuff. And the gun dealer's like, oh, okay, cool. And then you see it with the gun dealer when he's out on a job, he's like, I'm gonna shoot you in the head and all this type of stuff. Mm. It's weird in their own little kind of ecosystems, they seem to be people of importance, but you kind of really, what the film does is it strips back the kind of pretense of them. So where one minute someone's like the hard man, the next is kind of like squealing type, kind of quite nervy, you know, really sort of like begging to sort of kind of not get killed or hurt Mm. or in in any way. And it's a really interesting film in that respect, I think, because it sort of shows this kind of, yeah, like I said before, like a hierarchy to who's who's, who's on top and who isn't on top. Mm. And realise what you want, they're just a bunch of like Pond life, basically, squirming around, desperately trying to sort of, Survive,
0: yeah, and are very much like they're caught in their own like bubble where it seems very important, but in the in the bigger picture, it's just a very very bleak world. And that that's kind of underlined when we see the ending where we don't really care what happens with Eddie coil really. I mean, he 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 dies, but it just underlines like the bleakness that this is a blank and really hopeless world that. Uh, we don't even care uh, whether or not he died or not
1: well his his death as well is dealt with in it, it's it's a really strange one as well because he's yeah, yeah. like the actual build-up is like 10 10 odd minutes mm. of screen time and you have this kind of um you know they go to the ice hockey match with this dylan guy who's you know obviously the sort of the real i suppose if you want a bad guy in the film i suppose i think dylan probably is that person yeah. If, if you are looking for those types of stereotypes within this film, hmm. and you have this big build up of you know like of suspense, and yeah, he just gets sort of busted out in a court, like you know, they go around a corner and you know a gunshot goes off, and Dylan meets the informer. And what's really interesting is is that you realise that the police officer never had Eddie's real, he never yeah. cared about him in any way, shape, or form. at all at all during the film and what's kind of interesting is is that you realize that he probably feels exactly the same about dylan he's a means Mm. to an end of just getting some names on a sheet basically Mm. and i I think that is the nihilism of this film there's a hopelessness to Mm. it where it's really interesting when i watch these types of things because when you watch films you invariably gravitate towards the person who's in them, who is the lead character. That's, mm. you know, even if you watch something like The Talented Mr. Ripley, um, you always, you know, you, you like Tom Ripley in a way. Yeah. You, you want to see him get away with it. In this, you don't have that, I don't think. Or at least mm. I didn't experience that. And it does make me wonder, like, what is it what, what is it we get out of films like this? Mm. I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sure.
0: I think, like, like, um, the opening thing where i said it's more like a study of a subculture subculture that we we get a glimpse into like an environment which this feels like a very symbiotic environment where everyone is dependent on one another and it's not about it's not about the characters it's more about the system that they're in and i think that's yeah. that's really what i find interesting it's these shifting loyalties it's a symbiosis of right and wrong it's cops and robbers everyone needs each other and one name replaces another but it's still like a system that breeds and continues uh, forever
1: it's not it's not a, i mean let's be honest it's not a feel-good film this is it let's, <laughs> let's, be, let's be brutally honest with you yeah it's, it's just strange but i mean I, i've I, the way the thing is i've watched the friends of Eddie Coyle like quite a few times over mm. the years it is a film that i do go back to mm. and i i always find myself like I always have a different way in every time I see it. Like, I, I, I sort of I, I sort of see it as, as, like you sort of said, in that sort of like the wire yeah. type environment where you kind of, you actually legitimately feel like you're at arm's length from it all a little bit, hmm. but still kind of invested in what's going on, if, even if you aren't the characters. It's a really bizarre film. Because you think about hmm. like Bullet, like, I mean, the camera in Bullet just... Absolutely worship Steve McQueen. It's this like yeah. stylistic overload, all like things. And this, I mean, it, 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 you I'm always, always thinking of like American cities that look so picturesque. This this environment just looks awful. Yeah. Like a, a legitimately terrible place. And it's a yeah. cold film, and it's a bleak film. But yeah, there's there's a fascination to it, I think, which is that sort of voyeurism. Of mm. looking into that world,
0: it's interesting that you mentioned voyeurism because we were talking about how it builds up to that final, um, the final killing of Eddie Coyle, and in that hockey scene, I feel like eight is commenting on the fact that we, the audience, we want blood, we want action, we want we're screaming mm. for blood. I mean, it's like a frenzy the way uh, the editing ramps up and people are screaming for the fighting that happens on the on the uh, ice rink and it feels like he's coming commenting on that we the audience we we long for something more we long for more blood or more violence and he doesn't give it to us and it then kind of kind of feels empty uh that that ending but it feels like he does that very deliberately
1: yeah and it's it's also as well like i mean i was watching um uh, what was it the day uh, the day of the jackal yeah where you have that kind of like the whole preparation for this murder and it's all going on. And you, you, I mean, the, the thing about Day Jack was, you know that DeVault's not going to get killed, but you're mm. still like, the, the, sort of the style of the film overcomes you. Mm. And when I was watching that scene in the ice rink, it's weird because you sort of think, how thick is Eddie Coyle not to realise what's happening? But Do you think that he
0: with... didn't know that he was walking into his death?
1: I don't think he did, no. I, I, I okay. think he... I, I think he sort of thinks that by going, it'll sort of keep up this pretense. I don't think for any, I, I, I don't think, I, I, just, I just don't think the character is clever enough to realise what's going on. Mm. And when you watch that scene and the, the other guy tips up, who's going to you know be the getaway driver, you're expecting some sort of clever assassination. Like he's going to put like, you know, give him think, a thing of popcorn and then shoot him in the chest or something, you know, mm. just something like that. And like I say, it doesn't give you that it gives you this sort of last vestiges of a man enjoying this quite what is an incredibly violent sport in of itself and, you, and you, you in crowd scenes like that in in sort of thrillers that's where assassinations happen there's a sniper up in the gantry there's yeah. something going on they're going to stab you in the toilet or something like that and it's almost a disappointment because it's sort of like, well, here's the thing. And then they're in a car and it's like, well, nothing's happened. They've just gone to the ice hockey. You almost probably don't need that scene. He could, they could have done it on the way to the ice hockey, mm-hmm. you know, that they could have said, oh, you know, I'm going to pick up my mate here and we're going to go. to the I think they could have done it, but they, they don't. And I think like you said, it's like, it's, I think it's, it's dragging out that kind of the bleakness and the sadness of it. Cause don't get me wrong. It is very sad. I mean, you you mm. Yates you know, gives us those glimpses into Eddie Coyle's private life, you know, he's a husband, he's a father, you know, this is someone who, you know, does he deserve to die? Probably not, you know, well, mm. you know, I don't think he does, but in that world, this is what happens to people like him, and I think it's, the melancholy of the film, I think, is in there, because it's like, you can sort of see him enjoying himself a little bit,
0: mm. And also the story that it tells about Bobby Orr, that this kid, he has the future ahead of him, and he looks so promising, and look at him go, it it feels like everything is building up towards that, ah, the future I could have had.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, totally, and it's a really sort of, um, like I said, it's, that, that scene's in there, because it is in there to make a point, which is like when I said, you know, they could have killed him on the way to the ice hockey. Well, yeah. that would have obviously detracted from that way. He can, he can he, you know, Eddie can actually see from like people in front of him, like what could have been and, you know, what might be. Mm. And I, I I think it actually, I mean, like, I mean, I sort of said I don't sort of like, I don't really care about Eddie Coyle, but in those moments you do sort of feel mm. it. And also it's, it's that, you know, again, it kind of comes back, it gets quite meta because you have this, Kind of who who well, Robert Mitchum was a very big star in his day you know looking at a kind of a you know knowing that his career is coming to its twilight looking at the young, young, young and up and coming of which he would have been and I think there is a sort of um, a a point in the film where it, it becomes quite self reverential in terms of Robert Mitchum you know where he is in his career at that point. And you, you kind of like wonder, you know, differently if, if Eddie had made some different life choices. But it's, it's also, I think, that again, I come back to this sort of nihilism thing where the whole point of that evening is to kill him. It's not mm. to have a nice evening. It's not to enjoy himself. And there's that, you know, that bit where he's in the bar, isn't there, where the, Dylan takes the phone call. He's like, yeah, he's in it now. Well, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it later. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I'll get rid of him. And it's that kind of, I'll oh, come over you know we're still friends we'll have some steak and some wine we go to the game and it's just yeah it's nasty i I think it's nasty i think is the is the way i looked at it
0: Hmm. i mean i'm i'm of two minds I i think i can i can also feel like maybe he he knew that this was coming and he just wanted to like really embrace it almost that it didn't matter by by whose hand he was going to get killed or when but uh he sort of knew that at some point this is going to catch up to him. And it almost reads like a soliloquy, that the way he talks about that Bobby Orr player at the end. It feels like, I don't know, there's uh, some aspect there where I feel like he, he knows that his end is coming and he's ju- he just wants to drink his final drink and uh, be done with it almost. I mean,
1: well, I mean that, is a, that is a, yeah, I mean, that's a... That's not something I thought about when I first watched it, but now you say it, I think there is, you know, you, you, I, can, I can see that, mm. in that in that, you know, it's his last supper, as yeah, it were, his last sort of like, his last kind of hurrah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. No, no now, you, now you say it, I can, I, I can sort of sense that, which in a way makes it even more tragic, I suppose, for me. Mm. And the weird thing is, in the course of this conversation, I'm actually coming to the fact that I actually quite like Eddie Coyle. <laughs> the guys, yeah. they, they it's all about that stuff.
0: take your punishment lesson. Let, when you refuse to serve time, it's going to slap you in the face, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... Yeah, I mean, now you say it. I mean, I think, yeah, it has kind of, like, changed you know, how I look at it. But it's that, that ending, I think, is just so... Um, it... it 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 makes him out to be so worthless and Mm. of of such inconsequential kind of like his being is so inconsequential and you know you don't get the scene of the wife finding out or the kids finding out who we can assume you know probably do quite like the guy it's just like no you know
0: dead rather than showing the scene of his wife finding him we we're showing the scene of dylan and the cop who are the ones who kind of orchestrated all this uh and They are just going on with their daily lives and making new arrangements, paying him his $20. Yeah, Uh, yeah.
1: and it's the the fact they don't even say it explicitly.
0: Yeah, they don't talk about him at all, yeah.
1: No, it's sort of like well, I mean, if something did was to happen to the guy, and if something was to blah blah blah, you know, not really my kind of problem. Oh well, you know, if something did happen, then you know we can just let that go. Mm. And yeah, it's it's he just makes him up speed sort of um, yeah, like so meaningless and yeah, like I said before, of of such no consequence. And
2: I heard a guy on television the other night. He was talking about pigeons. He called them flying rats. I thought that was pretty good. What he had in mind, he was going to give him the pill or something to make them extinct. Now, uh, there was a guy that got shit on, probably got shit on again. And then he got mad. They ruined a suit or something, so he's going to spend the rest of his life getting even with pigeons. They ruined a $400 suit. Now, uh, there's no percentage in that, you know, because they're probably uh, 10 million pigeons in Boston alone. All of them laying eggs every day, which generally produce more pigeons. All uh, dropping tons and tons of shit every day, rain or shine. (laughs) And this guy in New York, he's going to will. just aren't going to be any more of them in this world. (laughs) Yeah, man gets desperate. He does a few things. He knows it won't work. Pretty soon he quits, packs it all in, goes away someplace. It's the only way there is. Okay. You gave us Scalise and we're grateful. You can't talk about Kyle. You can't talk about Kyle. It's all right. Thanks. Screw. We've been friends a long time now. I never asked a friend yet to do something he really couldn't do. I knew he couldn't do it.
1: I actually think in its bleakness, it's quite a beautiful film in a way. I, I, I kind of love the sort of the, the dreariness to it. And it, it takes, I think, a specific, I think it takes real talent to kind of create like a world which is almost so unappealing yet i think there is a there's a grittiness like blade runner for example mm. or something like that the world of blade runner looks horrific but there's still a kind of beauty to it and in this i i am sort of quite drawn into it, it, it there's a sort of um an impressive kind of detritus to the look of the film mm where you know you you can't say it's appealing but there is it does have a very profound look i think that really reflects the characters and their world
0: absolutely i mean some of the shots i thought they could have been by like a pennebaker or someone a real documentarian who, who found these locations his talent to show a reality or construct a reality that we believe in is uh, is very much uh, it's very interesting and it it is appealing in in that regard in that you believe in these places you believe that these people they actually live in these areas
1: yeah i mean yeah totally There's, it's it like we said before it's like it's not the hollywood gangster film at no. all it, it it feels like i mean I I'm not a gangster. I don't know any or anything like that. But I, I, I can imagine it, that world exists in that. You know, yeah. it, it makes me believe that that world exists, which is in of itself quite depressing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I watched it, um, I find it. I mean, the thing that I I struggled with was just keeping track of who's who, who knows who, who's talking to who. Uh, yes. I mean, it it isn't a it isn't one of those crime films where you can sort of guess what is happening and not really pay attention to the plot. You really need to get the details, especially those 30, 40 opening minutes where. Yeah,
1: I, I never realised the copper was a copper for a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. and then you sort of like, there's that, there's that reveal. It, you know, you have to keep pace with it. I think it's a film that, that makes you come into it in its terms. Yeah. Um, like, when, like, I mean, it almost seems unrelated, doesn't it? The, the bank robberies. Yeah. Because you don't really, you're not entirely sure. Like, you you know, he's the one who's providing the guns for these bank robberies. But do we need to see the bank robberies in all those details? Mm. You know, I'm not entirely sure. But there's something aesthetically quite strange about them, especially when they've got those masks on that are like plastic with, you know, they've got like a moustache on them and things like that. Yeah, yeah. There's something quite. They're they're visually very impactful. Mm. And like we said, I think they sort of show like, kind of like the. The business end of criminality but mm. it takes you a while to work out the fact that they're the ones he's getting the guns for and that is it's Capone or there's the guy who like the main yeah. guy yeah yeah who he, you know, he goes and get, gets the weapons to and yet yeah, you, you have to keep it, it's quite hard to keep up and it yeah it definitely it's a film that you where you're the one who has to really work hard to understand Mm. who's who and what's going on I mean I always remember being quite surprised when you find out that the police officer is a police officer Mm. and and especially
0: understanding like the double cross that Dylan is playing or the double play that he's playing that took me that took me a while before I understood like he's setting up someone but he's blaming them also and he's playing both sides of the fence sort of
1: yeah, I mean, he is as close as you can get in the film to the real villain, isn't he? That's yeah. brutally honest with you. But again, he's only in the same place that Eddie Coyle is. You could make a film from his perspective, mm. where you could make him—and I say this in inverted commas—as sympathetic as Eddie yeah. Coyle. You could have the you could have the friends of Dylan. Yeah. You know, like this sort of like bar owner who's trying to sort of—and that everyone sort of rolls into change. I uh, you could make a film about the police officer and how he's just sort of like playing people off. And, you know, if if people get killed, people get killed. It's Mm. one of those films, it just so happens, it almost seems that the camera falls on Eddie Coyle to be our kind of journey through it.
0: Yeah. Another character that I really enjoyed was um, the hoodlum, uh, uh, the Stephen Keats character, who he's uh, one of um, Mitchum's friends, or Eddie Coyle's friends, and he's the one who sells the machine guns. And his character is really, like, He's, he brings a certain vitality to the scenes uh, when he's uh, when he's in them.
1: Yeah, and th- there's a real, like... Again, we sort of go back to that, you know, the hierarchy of power in this film and who's mm. really controlling who, because when he's with Eddie Coyle, he seems a bit pathetic, but when he's on his own, and this is the other you know I love about the film, it really shows, like, the professionalism of these people. Mm. Like, when he goes to get the M16s, you know, <laughs> he goes to all that effort to make sure that yeah, he's got the lights on and the thing in this way, and he's like, like put them there and all that kind of stuff. But he's he's one of these these grifters who's sort of kind of in the context of the film, desperately trying to get by. And yeah, like you said, he he's he's quite he's a really interesting character. Like you sort of mm. the, the brilliant that brilliant set piece where the cops are after him, and he's just like you know he's selling those guns. And he's like, well, I'll come back in four hours or something like that to that mm. couple and yeah it's just a really nice sort of he's like and you you understand the stakes for him as well because he says like selling machine guns in this this count in this state is life Mm. and you think fucking hell you know that's a big deal but he's still doing it you know what i mean and it's it's just yeah he's he's a really fascinating guy but again the the, the beauty of this film is there could have been a film about him that you would have got well into as well you know Mm.
0: absolutely and sadness is that he i think he committed suicide at 49 years old i think he died like um not long after this film was done actually so uh, that's a bit of a tragedy in in, in itself uh but some of it's yeah, scenes he's got
1: such an such an interesting i mean it sounds really weird but he's got a really interesting face
0: yeah absolutely
1: like he's one of those character actors like someone like john kazella someone mm-hmm. like that i think has a really sort of interesting persona to him.
0: And some of his scenes they're the ones that sort of bring that humor to it even though it's not you don't laugh out loud but it's humorous watching him deal with that couple who's buying the <laughs> yeah. m16s
1: And he never quite realized what they need the m16s for as well yeah. <laughs> and it's like and it's the other thing as well i don't get as well like you know like i mean just that they're being suffered where are these guns coming up into america you can to a bloody gun shop and just buy them anywhere like, yeah. I, I don't quite understand that i mean perhaps someone could could can 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 educate me but it's like he reminds me of the type of character you bump across in grand theft auto yeah (laughs) like you know some like like some weird dude who you meet down an alleyway who can like you know sort you out i think um is it little jacob in one of the games he was a a gun arrest the fairy gun dealer (laughs) he he could ring up and would just tip up with a with a car full of weapons he's like yeah it's sort of he reminded me of that
0: um I think another thing that I really noticed is the use of, like, the ambient sound.
2: You can get you five machine guns by Friday. M16s, $350 a piece. You want ammo? It's extra. How much extra? $250 for 500 rounds. It's $2,000. I make that. Be here Friday night with the stuff. Half now. A grand in advance. Machine guns are a hot item. I don't like that. I don't give a good damn what you like. Look, I got two problems selling machine guns to people like you. The first is selling machine guns. That's life in this state. The second is selling to people like you. You're not honest. You know where I'm going to be in what time I'm liable to lose my machine guns. Give him
0: $1,000. I noticed, especially during the robbery scenes, there's no music. There's no... There's no like tension uh, music going on yeah. there. It's all about it's all about that reality and those rooms and uh, the voices and well, the there's commanders. There's, and,
1: yeah. there's, there's great lines, isn't there, from the bank managers who sort of like, "This is my third bank robbery. Um, if everyone just stays calm, yeah, my kids are going to probably get killed if we don't do this." And I mean, I don't know anything about bank robberies. I've never been involved in one. I don't know what they must be like. But there's that sort of that like transactional kind of. Yeah, you, you can imagine if they were going to go down. That's it. Like I said, there's no. This isn't a Michael. In that respect, it isn't sort of Michael Mann who's got some sort of Cronus Quartet uh, soundtrack playing, and no. it, it's just sort of like. And as well, the banks as well are just crappy looking, aren't they? They look like drive-ins <laughs> or something like that, you know. And it's it, it's it, it's re, it's really strange because it's like you're watching them, and they have got those. Then I I was reminded of like Point Break or something like that, you know, where they've got those kind of masks on, mm. but. There's just something really scary about those guys, for example. Mm. Like they, do, they do sort of terrify you. And it's like when the guy goes for the button under the, the counter, you're like, Jesus God, mate, what are you
0: playing at? Yeah. Just... If I was the bank manager, I would have fired him if he wasn't killed. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those, you're like, don't do dumb shit, pal, come on. Yeah. You know. <laughs>
0: um, I think uh, that's about it. I mean, I mean, it's a film that is, it's a very dense film but it's I feel like some of the, the issues I have with it is perhaps it's a bit like repetitive in its visual style in its in its dealings sort of that you there's no real mm, um, sort of the, the tension slowly slowly builds but it doesn't feel like it's um, it doesn't give you sort of a dance it it demands that you pay attention until the end and then you get re- your reward but during the film i feel like i have to uh, be with it it's sort of a you have to be in that, that sort of mood where you're willing yeah, to do the work to get the the reward
1: it's very much a film that's like you come to it on its terms yeah and i think that's i i actually quite admire films like that I quite, mm. it's not trying to please you And um, bizarrely enough before we watch this i watch um an old war film that I hadn't seen for years called *The Shell Heroes*, um, which I seem to remember really fondly liking when I was a kid, and it was excruciating watching it today. Um, I don't know if you ever do that but you watch a film you watched when you were like twelve and thought it was the best. Yeah, absolutely. Thing, you? And you watch it and you're like, oh my god, but this film. It was like it was like a needy dog trying to make you laugh and enjoy <laughs> it at every. And it, it was just like, oh god, you know, piss off. I don't. I think coronavirus has just made me even more miserable, to be honest with you. But I was watching it just thinking, stop trying to be so pleasing. You watch The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and it's like, this film's going to be bleak, you're not really going to like anyone, and the endings are complete downer. Yeah. Yes or no. And you can go, yes or no. And if you say yes to it, I think there is, like we've said, I think there's the DNA of films that you, or TV series, like The Wire and The Sopranos. And that sort of anti-Hollywood gangster film that's mm. in there, and I think it's a really bold film in that respect. Mm. And bizarrely enough, it is one that I go back to um, more than once. I know yeah, this like I think my fourth viewing of it, mm. and um, it has a yeah, it, it does have a, it. It has a certain appeal in its kind of nihilism and its bleakness, and I think that's in, it, the the very fact that you can say that, and the fact that you can it does have a repeatability to it. By everything we said, I think is a testament to its quality.
0: Mm. I mean, I feel like the fact that it doesn't try to manipulate you into certain emotions or certain expectations, I feel like that is such an admirable quality of the film. I'm watching uh, Normal People, that BBC series, and fuck me, man. I I mean, I'm reading rave reviews about that, but I do not understand. I feel like that is such a manipulative uh, series which sort of invents these... It events problems and it events reasons for us to care for them, but it sort of falls between two chairs for me and this film it relies on you to come to it and it doesn't it doesn't make up any it's like storylines that isn't deeply rooted in each of the characters
1: well, I mean just a quick diversion here normal people firstly, let's not call them normal people no. they're not <laughs> normal people and and secondly, where is the fun in that relationship, Jesus Christ? I mean, I was young once. You know, life was good and fun. Yeah. You know, you have the odd crappy relationship. Those two. What? 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 Uh, Where is the fun? Give me the episode (laughs) where they go to a festival, get blitzed on drugs and, you know, have a great time. It's just none of that. You're like, cheer up. You know what I mean? Just have fun. Mm. It, it's so bizarre. I, I, Well, I think it's the perfect series for lockdown, Normal People. Mm. I think it's tapped into this kind of weird sort of psyche of misery that seems to be going around at the moment. We can, If, if Masters, in fact, if Masters Cinema released Normal People, I could talk for about 10 hours about that bloody movie. <laughs> fucking hell. Like, just split up already and shut up. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I mean uh, yeah um let's leave it at that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I'm sorry you you, you 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 rattled me with normal people yeah, yeah. but weirdly enough though I showed it I, I, Someone I watched it and I told someone else it was really good jokingly and they were like "What? Where, where's the fun in this I was like there isn't there, there isn't, there. isn't they're, <laughs> not they're, they're, they're not normal they're not normal they're <laughs> crazy, but that's millennials for you but. yeah
0: um but Eddie Coyle normal people Definitely. Normal criminal people.
1: <laughs> Normal criminal people who actually seem like actual people as opposed to abnormally self-obsessed idiots. Yes. <laughs> that's, that, that's what the Friends of Eddie called is about.
0: Right. Our recommendation. A hearty recommendation for a Corona film, definitely.
1: Y- yes, definitely, yeah.
0: All right. So uh, this has been a first episode in quite a while. I think we recorded yes. Last Time with Hunter in late last yes, year or something. It-
1: It's gonna be a double bill. That's what yes. we're gonna do. Great. So there, was, there was a slight issue with the um, uh, the feed, um, which has been resolved. But I had to sort of learn how to do feeds manually, which wasn't fun. So, yeah. And, and uh, we're there.
0: Life has been quite busy for both of us in many different aspects. But uh, hopefully, we will get back into more of a regular structure in, from now on. Yes. One, so. I
1: th- yes. Definitely. I think once I think we can sort of like once once this kind of thing's calmed down for various reasons i mean we said it off air but mm-hmm. unfortunately my dad died of coronavirus during the making of this so it has been a bit of a crazy one but yes mm-hmm. we are going to uh, get back onto a normal recording pattern and get some guests back i think yeah absolutely
0: all right well thank you for joining me today tom cheers mate too. and uh, thank you listener for uh, downloading and listening to this episode uh, please do a favor and uh, like us on iTunes and give us uh, reviews if you can. Um, we are at moccastup.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter. Um, that is basically those two areas where we are most active, I think. Um, or write us an email at gmail.com So, uh, do you have anything going on with your own podcast, Tom?
1: I've just done a episode on seventy millimeter films, and I'm gonna be I've, I'm gonna be doing an episode on Carol Reid's film The Running Man and Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut
0: nice my favourite Kubrick Uh.
1: well yes I think I might be coming around to that way of thinking
0: Mm. right we're looking forward to it so until next time